Okay, so this talk is titled, as you saw, Going Mental, a how-to on mental prayer. But in order to talk about uh, the how-to of mental prayer, we have to talk about the why of mental prayer and the necessity of it. So first, the necessity of it. Quote Teresa Babila here, that we cannot grow in virtue unless we practice mental prayer. She says it is impossible to grow in virtue unless we practice mental prayer. So what do we mean by that? Within the moral life, there are three categories of acting. The lowest is vicious. I'm a vicious person. If I fall into vices, I do the bad, and I enjoy doing the bad. That's being vicious. The second, and probably where a lot of us are stuck, is the level of continence. Continence. Continence is, I do the good, but I don't necessarily enjoy it. I don't do it with my full heart. And then virtue is, I do the good, and I do the good with joy. So, in light of that, we can understand Teresa of Avila's line that we cannot grow in virtue unless... We practice mental prayer. Why? Because for the Christian, virtue, as virtue is in the excellence of man. So that Latin word virtus could be uh, broken up just into manliness. Not manliness as in like, all you women out there, you better start growing mustaches, you know, you got to be virtuous. But manliness is in the full flourishing of man, the full actualization of man manliness and so for the christian because god has become man it means that it's becoming like god this is the full flowering of virtue and so basically if i'm to grow in becoming like god i have to know to love and to serve him and so the first prerequisite of that is knowledge of god now with that in mind knowledge of god what do I mean by that? That can be very intimidating. A lot of times we can hear people talk about how, sorry, and why I said it in the homily this morning about being like, even hesitant to say like, you know, I know Christ. A lot of times we can get intimidated in retreat and Bible study circles and the like when someone says like, oh yeah, I have this personal, I have this personal relationship with Jesus and I know Jesus. Um, we have to understand what that means. Whenever we say that we know God, if someone says that they know God in a way that is comprehensive um, or understanding, that is like knowing the whole, then they're lying to us or they're lying to themselves. Um, to know God is a knowledge that we have by not understanding but um, apprehension. That seems like a very, you know, like, okay, you're just parsing out words here. But we basically, in this life, we know God by his effects. So we know God by how he reveals himself to us in the, in the tradition and in uh, the scriptures. And so what we cannot pursue in prayer, because we will bang our heads against a wall and be ultimately frustrated, is a desire to know God so fully 
that to some degree I've bottled him up. Like, all right, I've gone to pray. I've gone my, my hour of prayer today. I've bottled him up. God has told me everything. And now I am just kind of sent out to make the judgments as I see fit because God has kind of told me everything. Or I cannot be under the assumption that prayer is, okay, I just need to attune myself to this kind of like hidden or what we would call in this Christian tradition Gnostic uh, voice, like this kind of secret knowledge that judges everything, even what the church says, judges everything by my own experience of God. By my own experience of God. So that's something to note, that God reveals himself infallibly through the scriptures and through the tradition, since he is the one who spoke the scriptures and he is the one who has handed on the tradition. That word tradition, by the way, means simply to hand on. So that prayer has to be this continual openness and docility to the scriptures and to the church and being formed by it. Consider this. Mary, the perfect human being, we would call Jesus, though he has a human nature, a divine person, is someone who is open whenever the angel Gabriel comes and visits her. She's also, and she ponders that in her heart when this divine action happens. But consider as well her openness whenever different events happen. So again, her experience of God, it's not just this one thing limited to the chapel. And then she kind of walks out and sticks her nose up and is like, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. You can't tell me how to live. You know, she doesn't do that. But rather, whenever the prophet Simeon speaks to her, what does she do? She takes what the prophet Simeon says about her son Jesus, and she ponders these things in her heart. She takes uh, Jesus going into the temple and teaching the elders, and then Jesus saying, you know, I, ha I was in my father's house, and she ponders that in her heart. And so, what does this tell us about prayer and mental prayer? That we are continually open to God through primarily through the means of the scripture, the scripture and the tradition, and then within that context, that we are then open to God in light of the world, the different events of our life. So that is another important distinction and another, I guess, sacred cow I want to kill, is that God just speaks to me personally in these particular events in my life, and if the church and the scriptures don't match up with it, well then, that's not what God is speaking to me. But rather, no, Jesus has established his revelation publicly. He wants all men to be saved. And so therefore, he establishes church, he gives the scriptures to the whole world, and then we interpret the events of our life in light of those things. So that is exactly how Mary interprets them, because she has a knowledge of the tradition and of the scripture as a pious Jew of the time. So with those qualifiers, what then is the purpose or the end of prayer? The purpose of the end of prayer, like we said, was to know, love, and serve God. Because this is what it is to be virtuous, this is what it is to be manly, and with that in mind, we want to become like God.
And so, anytime, this is, this is a cool little thing I want you to think about. Anytime that we love something, we imprint its likeness upon it. Anytime that we love something, we imprint its likeness upon us. So that, let's say, you know, I love my fantasy football team, which, honestly, yeah, I do. You know, I like my chances, okay? So, the more and more that I look at it, like that, in, that information of it imprints itself upon me, and then I invest, I'm like emotionally invested in these people's success. Whether that's healthy or not is another conversation, you know, I can hire you all for counseling, you know, if you want. Um, but, yeah, so I, like, imprint um, their fortunes and everything onto myself. And so, in the same way, whenever we love something beyond ourselves, then we become like the thing. This is the problem with slavery to sin, is that if I love something lower than myself, then I become that thing. I become like that self. And so whenever I love God, I become like him. This is just this is just the law of the world. This is just like a law written in the universe, you know, because it's it's God himself who is love. And so that in loving God we become like him. And so that is the purpose of prayer. I cannot emphasize that enough. The purpose of prayer is not so that you can get answers to deal with your emotional problems. It's not so that you can discern what kind of job you're going to have after college. It's not so that you can figure out the right man or woman to marry. All of those things are only part and point to who is your salvation, and that is Jesus Christ. In loving Jesus, we have our salvation. That is the point of prayer. God only points us to something else in prayer, only if we know it's going to point us back to him. So if we have that backdrop in prayer, then we can understand more clearly what the goal is. So, now we know what the goal is in prayer. Because it's not only our salvation, Jesus is not only the way, he is also the truth and the life. So I pray now, and I spend time with him now, because I'm going to be doing that in eternity, you know, is loving God. So, what does that look like? What does that look like? I want to put into your mind two ways of preparing for prayer. Um, I talked about this um, in a very separate talk, very distinct group. You may have heard it. But there's something called um, remote preparation and proximate preparation. Remote preparation and proximate preparation. And so what we're saying with remote preparation is that we prepare for prayer before we ever enter into the chapel. So I also want to kill this sacred cow. If we have in our idea the mind, the mindset of, well, I'm like really good at prayer, but like I'm still getting drunk regularly, you know? Well, then you're deluding yourself as far as what prayer is. Because prayer is conforming myself to the will of God. Well, if I'm not conforming myself to the will of God outside of this room, then how am I conforming myself to the will of God inside of it? There's a real disparity. And so my prayer life 
is going to be about as good as my moral life. Keep that in mind. My prayer life, the, the dependence of my prayer life is contingent upon how well I'm living my moral life. I cannot be attuned with the Lord and his will if I don't choose his will in the practicals. So what does remote preparation, that is preparation before entering the chapel, look like? Um, this spiritual writer, Adolf Tenkeray, gives a few things. He says that it comprises three things, remote preparation. First, mortification, to mortify means to put to death. To put to death of the senses and of the passions. To put to death of the senses and of the passions. So, because God is beyond all things, the experience of him can be very much like no thing. In other words, the experience of him could be very much like nothing. So, because he is beyond all things, we need to be able to look beyond the things of the world to then look at him. So, this is why God emphasizes so much in the Old Testament not to grasp onto idols. And you can understand a little bit of why these Israelites wanted to make some calves out of gold whenever they're just in the desert. Because they're trying to grasp onto something. Like their heart wants to love something. We're made to be attracted. We're made to go beyond ourselves. We're necessarily relational beings. The, desi- the mind desires to know things. And so whenever we despair of knowing God, and that can be for a lot of different reasons, we can despair of knowing God because there is some sense of shame that we know that God is going to uh, have us confront. Um, we can despair of knowing God just because a lot of bad stuff has happened to us and we project that onto God. Um, whenever we do that, then we turn to other things. We make those things idols. So we mortify the senses and the passions. So um, let's see. How else to talk about this? And I want you to think of, when we think about senses, I don't just mean externally. So one of the things that spiritual writers emphasize often is custody of the eyes, you know? Like, not, you know, not always looking for the next good thing. But then, while there are exterior senses, like pleasing my palate through food and drink, like pleasing my body through lustful sins, uh, there are also interior senses, and these interior faculties. And these really need to be purified for prayer. Now again, in the same way that I can't pray if I'm not living the moral life, I cannot purify my interior faculties if I'm not purified the external ones. So the interior faculties that need to be purified are mainly three. The imagination, the memory, and the intellect. The imagination, the memory, and the intellect. So the imagination. Why? Because God himself is not an image. But we can use images to ascend to God. So Jesus is the image of the Father. You know? And so Jesus in his humanity is the image of the Father. We never see Jesus' divinity. Um, 
In the rosary, we have the images of the mysteries that are given to us. In, um, in the scriptures, we also have images that are presented to our minds. What's the problem? YouTube shorts. YouTube shorts is the problem, you know? In a word, I mean, it, YouTube shorts and TikToks crystallize exactly what the problem is. And that is that we can be a glutton for images. That we can just fill our mind with thing and thing again, uh, again and again and again. Why? Again, because the mind desires to know. Because we desire to know things. But if we despair of knowing the living God, then we will fill our mind with other things. And so we um, need to mortify or put to death our imagination in the sense that whenever we then set our imagination upon the mysteries of God through, for instance, the highlights of the gospel, which we would also call the rosary, you know, the mysteries of the rosary are like basically the highlights of the gospel, um, the scriptures themselves, and we begin to love those images. We begin to love Jesus in those images. And so then love the Father and take delight in them, then the more and more we put to death the imagination. And we dwell, and we cannot dwell um, needlessly on different thoughts. So um, some spiritual writers, I can't, uh, remember, it might have been Ignatius, um, called the unmortified imagination the mad woman in the house. You know? So, like, you go to sit down to pray, and you're just distracted with all kind of different things. You know? Like, you're, you're just filled with all these different images or whatever else. Well, why is that? Well, it's because your mind is going to go where your heart's at. You know? Where your treasure is, there also will your, will your heart be. And so it means that whenever those thoughts pop up, there is, it's a, a symptom of the deeper problem. That is, that my heart is attracted to these things and not to the Lord. So uh, that also means, again, to uh, mortify the imagination, we have to mortify the things that we imagine ourselves about. So if I, I cannot say like, okay, I'm not going to think about Twinkies, you know, when I go to pray. And then eat a box of them whenever I get out of the chapel. You know what I mean? Like I have to, because why? Because I'm going to fill my mind with it, you know? And so it's the same kind of way. Like if I'm filling my mind needlessly with social media and then thinking about the opinions of others, like, okay, well then I need to cut off the social media thing. And then eventually that is going to die, you know? The same thing with uh, another thing that we do with the imagination. Well, this actually this is a perfect segue into the memory. The the next um, thing that we need to mortify is the memory. So in regards to the memory, and I want you to, if you're taking notes, I want you to categorize it in your mind this way. Um, in the imagination and in the intellect to think of faith, and in the memory to think of hope. In the memory to think of hope. So, um, in regards to um, the intellect and the imagination, we use faith to be able to see God. Faith is that virtue. And then hope is that we desire God. Hope is that we desire God. So, why does purifying our memory, John of the Cross, say affect our hope. 
it's because what we remember now that we are fallen is first what we forget what are we do what we lack to remember is god we forget god all the time and what we remember instead is past injuries done to us we remember people sinning against us and we can brood over injury st paul says love does not brood over injury and so in order to purify the memory we have to be able to ask for the grace to forgive quickly and we have to remember christ's forgiveness for us so often especially if we have a fallen memory then the injuries done to us eclipse what christ has done for us it eclipses the memory of the crucifixion and so to keep the cross and the crucifixion always in our mind um okay and then thirdly purifying the intellect purifying the intellect we need to just constantly let ourselves be corrected by the revelation of the gospel and to uh basically purify our convictions about certain kinds of things obviously obvious things that our intellect can be purified is the cultural fascination with um celebrities and athletes the cultural fascination um, with beauty and popularity, like that these things produce happiness. Like, of course, if I were to ask you, like, is this going to be your salvation? You'd say no. But I mean, but do you believe it? You know, do you believe it? That's where the intellect needs to be purified, and we need to fill our mind with love of the gospel. So that is, <laughs> we've gotten uh, not very far. Okay, that is the first of the three ways that we have remote preparation to go into the chapel and pray. Uh, Mortifying our senses, and I included internal senses there. The second, habitual recollection. So what this means, we should be praying more, praying and reading, spiritual reading, calling to mind God's presence more than we're on our phones. I just want to like remind everyone how unnatural and learned a behavior it is to be on our phones all the time. Like this is like 15 years old in the span of human history. Like that's less than a drop in the bucket. And we've kind of taught ourselves that we need it. Um, we need to habitually recollect the memory of God. Habitually place ourselves in God's presence. The more and more that I habitually recollect God, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to notice God talking with my friend who is unchurched. Whenever I'm talking to God, my friend is unchurched. And I'm going to see in live action my temptation to gossip. I'm going to say, rut row, I need to stop. I'm, recollect- I, I'm in the presence of God. The more and more it's going to happen, I'm going to see in live like in live action, the thumb patterns on my phone to notice which websites I'm going to and which I'm not. It's like, retro, like this is happening. I notice it happening right now. I'm, not, I'm no longer on autopilot. I'm not living in the darkness, but I'm living in the light. I need to, the more and more that I constantly recollect God, where, you know, imagine a string going vertically. So this has to do with the memory as well. Imagine, well, the fallen memory only imagines things 
in a horizontal timeline, while the redeemed memory looks at things vertically. I remember God's presence. The more and more that I do that, the more and more I make him present. And if I can make him present, his, no, his presence known outside of the chapel, then I sure can be present to him when I'm inside the chapel and solely focused on him. So, secondly, constant recollection. And then the third is humility. Because we know that God acts for his own glory and that all things are made for his glory. It's going to be humility that attracts us to him and it's going to be pride that opposes him. If we're acting for our own glory, we think that God just simply wants us to be the best version of ourselves and simply to make us happy. And and if he's done that, then great, I don't need him anymore. Then God's going to flee from that. But if our end in prayer is to desire to glorify God because I know that God is greater than me and I desire him even above myself, above all things, then I'm going to be, then God is going to attract himself to me. All right. Yeah. Um, so in the life of grace. So with all that said, that is the remote preparation. Also, practically what this means, remote preparation with humility, what causes humility mainly? Humiliation causes humility. And so registering throughout the day in my mind whenever I'm humiliated and not neglecting that, not saying like, act like that's not a part of me. That's where God wants to meet me. He wants to meet me where I'm humble. But where I'm humble is oftentimes where I'm humiliated because we're all so prideful that we're not naturally humble. Like God needs to knock us off our high horse. He needs to humiliate us. And in that humiliation is where God attracts himself to us. As St. Paul said, where, uh, where weakness is, my power is made perfect. When St. Paul asks, remember, to have the thorn removed from his side. So allowing that, those moments of humiliation to be brought to prayer, because that's where God wants to meet us, so that grace can be made perfect within us, and so that we can rely upon him. All right, now we talk about remote preparation. Um, now we can talk about proximate uh, preparation. So that means actually preparing, you know, like I'm going to go into the chapel. Now I want you to consider again, proximate preparation is a thing. What a thing is not? Bible roulette. Bible roulette is not a thing. Like, just, like, don't treat the Bible like a Ouija board, you know? Don't, well, the way that you should treat a Ouija board is throwing it into the trash can. Definitely don't throw your Bible into the trash can. Also, don't hover your hand over your Bible and wonder, like, okay, what is it that God wants me to listen to? You know, it's this one, you know? And then, and then say it. Again, this is the this is the same thing. We're trying, if we're doing that, then we're saying, like, God, enter into my life. Whenever our prayer should be, God, I want to enter into your life. I want to know you. And so what this means, select uh, the tank, author Tank Ray says, select the subject of meditation on the preceding evening. An easy way you can do this, pray with one of the mass readings. Don't pray with too many. Like, if you're trying to pray with the, um, the first reading, the psalm, and the gospel, you might be biting off more than you can chew. And we can talk about that. I'll get back to that. Don't let me move off of that. Uh, secondly, um, so have, like, pray with the mass readings, or, like, what I like to do is have a continual book of the Bible that I'm praying with. 
Uh, so like I'm praying with Sirach right now. I've been praying with Sirach for like the last three months. It's it's huge. It takes a long time. But the idea is like I know what I'm praying with. It's not something that I get to choose to my liking. It's something that like sometimes might be very consoling. Sometimes it might be very troubling. Sometimes it might be very boring. You know, and because of that, I'm just opening myself up to whatever that God speaks. And I'm not making God into my own image and likeness. Okay, secondly, to revolve it in our mind in the morning upon awakening and to excite in our heart corresponding sentiments. So what he's also talking about here and what you can do, again, like this helps with the moral line. If I want to pray um, every day, and feel like I have something to pray about. And when I mean something to pray about, I don't mean like a job or a girl or whatever else, you know, a, a self-life decision. I'm talking about some defect in myself. I'm talking about some vice within myself. Then do a nightly examine. I'll give you, um, I've personally been doing this since January, and it's been so simple. Um, it takes me one minute at night. I have a notes app in my phone and I put the date and put three things. What was I grateful for today? Where was the vice, the predominant vice that I fell in today? Where were the graces that God gave me to act in accordance with his will today? If I do that, then I'm much more aware of how God is acting in my life. What am I grateful for? I'm grateful that I've had like an amazing meal. I'm grateful that I got to exercise, play pickleball. I'm grateful for this direction appointment. I'm grateful for the the grace to love him more deeply in mass today. Like whatever that is. Being grateful for all those things. Um, that gratitude part is important, by the way, because you're going to burn out if the only thing that you do examination of conscience is tell yourself how crappy you are at the end of the day. Um, secondly, vice. So notice, and I say vice and not simply actual sins, because um, vice has to do more with where are my principal thoughts. So maybe I was brooding over injury, you know. Maybe I was very vain, you know, about my appearance. Maybe I was having lustful thoughts throughout the day. Being aware of that, that pulls me away from God and pulls me more and more into myself. If I'm aware of that movement, then the moment that I go into the chapel, I know what it is. I know to choose the opposite. Um, I know to meditate on chastity if I'm struggling with lust, right? And then thirdly, the grace. See how God is acting within yourself now so that you can cooperate with the grace. If God gave me the grace to be charitable today, notice how you were charitable and do it again. That is how we grow again in virtue. Virtue is when we act with, um, not, not only for the good with enjoyment, but with habituation, with habituation. We do it over and over and over again. So, um, yeah, do the nightly examine so that you have something uh, that you're already ruminating on, uh, meditating on. And then thirdly, uh, to pr- approach meditation with earnestness, confidence, and humility, desiring to give glory to God and to improve our life. 
In this way, the soul is placed in the best best dispositions to enter into conversation with God. So if I have the desire of heart, again, to give glory to God, and not simply to fix myself. Give glory to God, not simply to fix myself. And then, uh, thirdly, I said remote and proximate preparation. Here's immediate preparation. Um, So whenever we go, we just simply place ourselves in the presence of God who is present everywhere, especially within our heart, acknowledging ourselves unworthy and capable of meditating and imploring the aid of the Holy Ghost that he supply our insufficiency. I told this at the very beginning of the very beginning of the semester for the BCB guys. It's very easy for the first movement within our heart whenever we go to pray, just to start off with self-hatred, just to look at ourselves and be like, okay, this is what's wrong, this is what's wrong, this is what's wrong. But the first thing that we need to do is consider God. We need to look beyond ourselves. And then, in considering him, considering his mercy. And then seeing all things in light of his providence and his mercy, even our sins, that God um, can be the one to heal them. Okay. All right. Now we're going to talk about how to do mental prayer, now that we are in the, the final uh, 12 minutes of this talk. Or, yeah, yeah, 12-ish minutes of this talk. Uh, I want you to put down uh, five, or prepare yourself to put down five bullet points. Okay, so first, we make an act of worship rendering to the majesty of God the religious homage due to him. So, again, what is the end of man and the end of prayer? It's the first command, it's the commandment of above all commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and then afterwards to love your neighbor as yourself. And so that is my intention in prayer. Not to fix, but to love. My intention is to love. And that is going to open up everything else. If my intention is to love God, well then I'm going to see where, with all my heart, soul, and strength, I'm going to see where the uh, deficiencies are. So, like, for instance, um, my dad had this truck, looked really good from the outside, um, whenever it was taken on the interstate though, anytime that you try to get up to 70 miles an hour, you tried to, you know, get that, that truck going with all of its heart, soul, and strength, you know, it sputtered like it had a lot of problems. You wouldn't know about the problems if you kept it at 35, but because you floored it, you knew about the problems in the engine. If I go to prayer and my intention first is to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, and strength, which is what God commands us to do, then we'll notice where the defects are. I'll notice, oh, that's hard to do because I just think about myself and how I look all the time. Or I notice, well, that's hard to do because I'm really angry with my mom and I can't forgive her right now. Now, these things are coming up very clearly. And so, um, even if we, if that doesn't immediately come up, though, um, and how we consider God, uh, then we need to, this is our second point, considerations. Considerations. Tanqueray writes, we need to convince ourselves of the necessity or the great importance of the virtue we want to acquire, so that we may all the more earnestly pray for the grace of practicing it and firmly determined to make efforts necessary to cooperate with grace. So 
whenever I go to pray, again, I don't, immediate, I don't immediately consider what's wrong with me. I consider Jesus Christ. So whenever I'm making that consideration, think about this in light of faith in those images, right? This is why we're purifying our imagination. So that we can imagine more clearly the mysteries of the rosary. By the way, we know that our imagination can sometimes be like selfish and self-centered. If I like take the mysteries of the rosary and then I immediately turn them over to be like what I want them to be, you know? So just remain present at the actual scene of the gospel whenever you're meditating. And consider what it was like, you know, for Mary to serve Elizabeth. What it was like for Joseph and Mary to be with Jesus in that poor manger. When I'm considering that more and more, then the desire for virtue pops up. Just like we talked about last night with Matt's talk about, like, he can be on his phone just doing his thing and living comfortably, but whenever he considers the other, whenever he considers Liliana, it then wells up within him this desire to serve Liliana. And so we need to consider the Lord or consider the subject material that I'm meditating upon. And then after that consideration, then it becomes very clearly the effect of that is self-examination. Then we can rightly examine ourselves. Sometimes we can go to prayer and we can like make up this problem about ourselves that isn't really a problem with God um, and then miss what it is that God is telling us to do. After that self-examination, then we ask for, uh, we just, we actually do the prayer or the petition, which is, I'm begging God for the grace. I notice the, um, I notice the innocence and I notice the poverty of Mary and Joseph in the manger with Jesus and noticing their innocence and their poverty and their love and their single-mindedness holding that child lovingly. I recognize how greedy and self-absorbed and how I constantly divert my attention. I can't, I struggle to love really anyone with that kind of purity of heart. And so then I pray. Then I beg God for the grace. Because if I'm confronting myself earnestly, then I know that I need his grace. I'm not just like planning like, okay, how am I going to do it? I have to beg for the grace first. And then after that is when I make a resolution. When I make a resolution. This is so important, by the way. Uh, to make some resolve to practice the virtue that I'm meditating upon. Because if I don't, then I can be in a worse off spot. I can be in the spot of the Pharisees, which is, I know all these things and it affects me in no way. The, the problem with this spot is, now whenever I go on retreat or when I go to Bible study, because I've heard the gospel and I haven't changed, not even the gospel can change me. Yikes. Then we're really stuck. You know, that's not a good place to be. So make a resolution to change. And then in concluding our prayer, we want to make an act of thanksgiving first. We want to um, review everything. We just want to remember, because it's very easy to walk out of prayer. You walk into the cafe, and then you totally forgot what happened. You're like, hey, um, you know, how was your day? You're like, oh, um, like it just like, just drooling, like you don't recall, you know, it's like a zombie. And um, and then ask for the blessing of the Father. Um, and just like, and, and one more thing, if you can kind of reduce your prayer in a sort of theme, you know, like God wanted me to trust him today. God, like, 
chastity. Whatever is some kind of little thought that the Lord has given you in prayer so that you can be brought closer to him, to hold on to that, you know, throughout the day. Um, so, it's 1025. Y'all have any questions or any thoughts? Even clarifying questions about, like, what were the bullet points or whatever like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he said mortification of the senses and passions. Yes. Is, is passion not like a, a synonym for like the very act of desire? Mm-hmm. Such as like the, um, the the foremost desire of the human heart is for God. Right. Now it may be disordered in whatever yeah. we it is for God. Right. Right. So we're like mortifying. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a good question. It's a clarifying question. So all this, when we say mortify, you know, you're putting to death and then it's kind of like being risen up again in Christ. So like we say like put to death our senses, like, well, we still live in the body, you know, so it just means reordering them. But the way of reordering. So here's the deal. Like we're not very good. Practically, we're just not very good at reordering these things. If we look at on equal value, um, whether I like, man, I want to pray, but I also want the Twinkie, or I mean, more practically, I want to pray, but I also just need to watch this one more YouTube video or like look at just this one more Instagram photo. Well, if I don't put this to death, then this isn't going to happen because we're just so fallen, you know. So that's why I mortify the passions. But then whenever we go to pray and then we enjoy the good, like we said, like going from continence to virtue, to virtue, then the passions kind of resurrect and, and the passions become a fuel to be able to do the good. But never do the passions over, but never do the passions cloud the intellect. That's our problem with fallen man, is that the passions cloud the intellect. The word what? I'm sorry. Okay, cauterize. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. so if y'all caught that, so mental prayer requires, as we're going, uh, <laughs> mental prayer requires uh, um, this painful purification. And this makes sense in light of everything that we talked about, right? Because God is, the experience of God is like no thing, you know? And so what it needs to be purified, our love for certain lower things. And so Lillian's question, if I got right, was how do we prepare ourselves to be purified, like to embrace that pain. Yeah, or like endure this like desolation of 
Sure, endure the desolation. Yeah, sure, absolutely. I think the main way is understanding and trust. So we, one thing that we cannot count on, I want to kill this sacred cow too. Um, we cannot count on, and we have to kind of like grow out of this idea that like just because if I pray, like I'm going to be immediately happy. Or, um, like, God has something better for me immediately when I go to pray. Um, That might not be the case. It might just be that God wants to purify me so that I can better know him. Now, like, what you're talking about is something that's more endured and long-lasting, where it's like, and and to be more particular, this is what St. John of the Cross talks about with the night of, there's something called the night of the senses, whenever a man loses, or woman, uh, loses satisfaction in worldly things, they no longer, like his senses actually lose, they don't have power over him the same way. They don't even please him. He doesn't find satisfaction in things anymore. And then there's the night of the soul, which is when the interior faculties are more and more darkened, and we don't even feel like we know things, you know, anymore. Now, the thing that we need to then embrace in those times, especially, is, and the understanding, is the understanding of faith, hope, and love. Um, especially faith and hope. Faith and hope are, in a sense, poor man's virtues. Um, faith is saying, I don't know. If you grow in faith, what you're saying is you're growing and I don't know, you know, what you're trusting more and more the authority of God and less and less your own knowledge. And so John the Cross and others will liken this to we have this knowledge like of the sun. When the sun is out, I see everything in front of me. But when the sun goes down, I don't see the things in front of me. So this is more likened to faith. But with faith. Though I cannot see the things in front of me, I can see into other worlds because I can see the stars. That's a really cool analogy. That should kind of fire you up a little bit. But um, the idea is that by faith, even though I don't necessarily know the things around me, you know, but because I see the stars, I see who God reveals himself to be, then that kind of enlightens everything else. So I think that like that's something that needs to be embraced. So even though it's not felt and there's less of a familiarity, just internally, that by faith I know the authority of God. So that's how to like embrace that purification. Same thing with hope. We remember God, but that means that we have less memory of particular things. You know? So that's that's his like intro into the yeah, into that unitive way. Anyway, all right. All right. One more no no more questions. All right, it's been fun. Um yeah. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. John of the Cross. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.